Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and with me, as always, is Charles Chuck Thompson. And with us, but not as always, is Mr. Chris Spangle from the We Are Libertarians podcast. Chris, how's it going? It's going well. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing we're doing pretty good. Charlie, I didn't ask you how you were doing. Are you okay? I'm doing all right. You know, I think we're surviving. Yeah, the global pandemic. We've been okay. Chris, have you been okay? Been severely affected in any kind of way? I've been better than okay. I'm, you know, not to, I feel bad for anybody that's lost someone or anybody that's lost a job, but it's, it's been nice. Like starting to work from home. We were talking beforehand, like you guys work where you live and, and it's great. I love it. So you're, (laughs) you're saying you prefer, you prefer a pandemic. You'd rather it stay like this all the time. (laughs) Oh yeah, I, I just without listen, the death. I'm getting Trump bucks. I'm getting my tax dollars back in uh, in my checking account. It's great. Borrowing <laughs> money from our children as we speak. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Screw them, kids. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so, real quick, housekeeping. Housekeeping, guys. Subscribe to this podcast. Statistics show that our podcast cures socialism 99.97% of the time. So you want to go ahead and hit that subscribe button because those are good numbers. Now that's only phase one. But uh, from what we can tell, it's very promising. So you want to go ahead and jump on that. Hit that subscribe, subscribe before we get to phase two. Yeah, go ahead. You want to get in early. All right. Get in early. I caught a bad case in, in July of last year. And thankfully, this podcast healed me up. There you go. I hate it when you catch socialism for a little bit. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's been going around. It's the worst pandemic the world's ever seen. So, uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and tell us, you, you know, our the standard first thing that you would talk about in any podcast interview. Give us your, give us your backstory. Let our listeners know all about you and the podcast, and and catch us up to where we are right now. Well, first and foremost, I will not continue to do this interview as long as there is a Lions of Liberty mug in the background, and I demand <laughs> that you take that down immediately. I will not be on a podcast even remotely associated with Mark Claire, but especially Brian McWilliams. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's all right. I, I called Brian Mark and Mark Brian. Yeah. <laughs> and then forget Howie. Howdy. Howdy. Howie. 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 Yeah. Yeah. What's his face? And then John. John was on too. Um, Odin, Odenkirk, John Odenkirk, I think. I think is something the other like guy. that. Yeah. Felony Friday. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry, Odin man. It's, it's in the contract. I know you didn't really read all the fine print, but it stated that there has to be a Lions Liberty mug in the background during the duration of the podcast. So, and we must not forget to mention Rico, as everyone always forgets to mention yeah. Rico. <laughs> he didn't come for the interview, so that's his fault. We, I haven't yep. met him. So, <laughs> so uh, to, to get back to talking about me, We Are Libertarians <laughs> is a podcast that has that I started in 2012. I was the executive director of the Libertarian Party of Indiana. I was a full time employee for the LP from 08 to 12. Great job, had a great time, but I realized that direct action politics wasn't necessarily moving the needle as fast as I'd like. And I had worked in talk radio and and uh, continued to do so. Uh, and started We Are Libertarians because I missed doing radio. I wanted to do podcasting. I had done the Libertarian Party of Indiana podcast for a year or so at that point, and a little of podcasting at the talk radio station that I worked at. And so I gathered together a couple of college libertarians who uh, were part of the Young Americans for Liberty at, the, at my alma mater, and we started doing a show and that has, I mean, we've done, there's like 770 episodes in the feed where we're up to episode 437. We're not nearly as ambitious as the two of you doing a <laughs> daily show, but we have, uh, 
it, it's been great. I mean, there is, and you guys can speak to this. There's nothing like learning about the world and yourself and your own beliefs, like doing a show like this, because you have to, if you're going to ask for people's time, then you have to be prepared. And this last couple of years, we've really doubled down on that. And if you go and look at most of our shows, we've been doing a lot of COVID stuff and a lot of uh, Libertarian Party stuff the last couple months. But generally, what we do is we take an issue that everybody's talking about, give you all the facts surrounding it, give you our opinion on it, give you the opinions of Republicans, Democrats, other libertarians. So if you give us that time, we give you a complete picture of what's going on in that story. And so you walk away more informed. So when you're talking to your friends about something, you know something about it. And then we source everything and put that in the show notes and just try to give a complete picture of what it's like to be a libertarian human being in 2020. I heard something on your podcast, a tagline had something to do with sounding smarter when you were talking to your friends or something like that. And that's always a good, always a good goal for sure. What is, what is the goal? You know, one of our listeners asked us the other day, what our, what we defined as success for this podcast or what the goal was, what's the goal for we are libertarians? Like what's your big picture? What do you want to come out of this? You guys will find that the longer you do a show, the more it evolves and you know, in the early days, it was to do it because we wanted to do it. It was just fun to sit around and talk with each other. And then, you know, the goal was to be somewhat irreverent. Like if, if you're friends with the Friends Against Government podcast, if you're familiar with that, that's a lot of what We Are Libertarians sounded like in the first three or four years of its existence. It was part comedy podcast in some ways. Uh, but over time, you know, I started to to look at that as too much fluff, right? Like I'm taking too much of people's time and while that stuff is fun and we still try to be irreverent and we still try to bring humor to what we're doing. The goal really is now to, I think my main goal has become preparing people to think for themselves because the thing that makes me see red is when people are manipulated. I've done this for almost 20 years in both media and politics. And so I'm, I'm old enough and sophisticated enough now to see when somebody's pushing, pushing BS. And you know, that's like, I remember in 2008 hearing these doomsday, you know, guys with the financial libertarian podcast talking about how it's all going to come to an end. And it scared me to death, but I didn't know any better. And now I hear them saying the same thing a, a, ten, a decade later. And it's like the crash hasn't come. There's definitely problems with our, our system and, and our underlying system. And they could absolutely be right at some point, but there's real emotion attached to what they say if you don't know what you're hearing, if you have no context. Yeah. And so what I want to do is try to give people context and say, listen, this is a pandemic. This is really bad. There are 100,000 Americans dead in three months. That's bad. There are freedoms that are being eroded. There are civil liberty is- issues here. Not One side is not totally correct. The other side's not totally correct. Here's, here's kind of where we can all meet together. You know, whether you're from more of a left leaning perspective or a right leaning perspective, where are the points of agreement that we can find as a society? Yeah. I think being able to find a point where you agree and then move on from there is, is definitely one of the best tactics. We found that just calling someone an idiot right off the bat is not the best way to conduct an argument or, or a conversation. You know, if you try that in your own personal life and you're having an argument with your, with your wife or spouse and you just say, Hey, 
you're a you're you're such an idiot. I can't believe that your brain works this way. The conversation's not really going to go well from that point. But if you tackle it like, hey, maybe we both want the same things. Like, I don't want a hundred thousand people to die. You don't want a hundred thousand people to die. We're, we've came out strongly against death on this podcast. It's yeah. one of our number one things. Is we're against death. And so, I like a podcast that's against death. I'm yeah. going to be honest with you. That speaks to me. Yeah. Now I hope that we don't have to backpedal on that right. at all. Or you know, I don't. I don't think it's something we'll have to apologize for later or, very, or anything. But it's very sophisticated stance as well. Like we're against poverty too. Yeah. So we're now listen. Against it? If yeah. I go through a breakup, then we'll talk. Maybe I'll be pro death then. But <laughs> <laughs> it's on a case by case basis. But right. I'm saying in general against against death. I'm so, tired of you collectivizing death. Let's be honest. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Okay. Well, so it's, I, I listened to the podcast the other day and I heard you talking to these guys and they mentioned the, just a little bit more backstory. I mean, you work for the Bob and Tom show. Is that also the case? Yeah. So I just did an interview and this is a great example of messaging that I was just kind of talking about. So I, my day job is for the Bob and Tom show. The opinions expressed by me are not theirs in any way, shape or form. Let me say that. Uh, And so I do all their digital. And so I'm basically a full-time professional podcaster uh, for a nationally syndicated radio show that's based around comedy. Uh, I I produce another show called Leaders and Legends, which interviews basically the establishment politicians of Indianapolis. And then I'm also on the Pat Down, a comedy podcast with Miss Pat, which is uh, the funniest podcast you will listen to in your life because she's the funniest human ever, but it's, it's also about racial reconciliation and, and conversing about racial issues from my very white perspective and, and their very black perspective and finding those points of agreement. And if you listen to the episode, uh, titled two party system, I think it's four thirty six of we are libertarians. You hear me walk through this conversation with four other men who live in a town next to where I grew up in Avon, Indiana, of four very different backgrounds, four very different political persuasions. And what you hear, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not trying to brag here, going full Alex Jones, I'm not bragging, but they, I don't know their political stances, but they all walked away going, this libertarian thing sounds really good. It sounds really appealing it sounds like something that I want to be a part of. And it's because I talked about empathy leading the conversation and I talked about empowering the individual, but I tried to do it in a way that isn't threatening, that isn't in your face. And I think, you know, that's, that's part of messaging libertarianism. What I'm trying to do differently. One of the goals that I have for we are libertarians is trying to get us to think more empathetically, get us to listen more to, you know, doing the pad down podcast, I have to listen. You know, when Ferguson happened, I never grew up with, I had black friends, but I didn't understand black culture. Like I do after doing this show and talking with two new friends who are deeply steeped in black culture about their experiences. Harry, my co-host on we're libertarians is black. It never occurred to me that when we leave the house, we have different experiences until he said something to me about it, you know? And so when Ferguson happened, and now we're dealing with with the uh, George Floyd incident and the Aubrey incident in Georgia. I have a much different perspective of that stuff than I did six years ago because I'm listening. I'm trying to understand the experiences of other people and then negotiating where my values meets their values and where can we work together? Because Dion, the co-host on, on the pat down, he is a socialist. He is a Bernie supporter. But when you talk about why we want the end goals, we have the same values. We both 
want people to be helped best. We want sick people to get care. It's just that he wants Medicare for all, and I want a more decentralized private system. But our goals are the same, and that's where we can find that common ground. And so what I'm trying to do with We Are Libertarians is, and my career overall, is showing people a better way to converse and talk about libertarian issues and ideas that is less aggressive and less offensive Sometimes it's going to be offensive because there's just no way to about to talk about strong ideas without pissing some people off, right? You talk about racism is bad. There's going to be people who are going, I think you're talking about racism too much. Why can't we wait? You know, it's happened in yeah. the sixties. So yeah, that, that, that's another goal of mine. Totally hitting the nail on the head there with, with being empathetic with people. I mean, one thing we've always tried to realize is that, um, you can have opinions with why things happen, but you can't really argue with people's feelings. Like if people feel a certain way about something, that's it's true that they feel that way. So you're going to have to approach the conversation from that and not just say that they don't feel that way. Why don't we talk about why is it that if you're a minority and you go out and you're dealing with police, you feel like there's a difference all the time. Maybe there is something behind that that people need to be open to. We did a little speech at Young Americans for Liberty and we talked about how libertarians need to talk from an emotional standpoint because that's how most people think. Like 97% of people think with emotions first. And this is a very emotional argument that we're making here. Like self-ownership, you own yourself. No one else owns you. Um, how many people could be saved if we deregulated healthcare? How much cheaper would it be? How, how much better lives would people have? Uh, how much better would people's lives be if we didn't have all the drug laws that we have? Like These are very emotional topics, but libertarians don't talk about things from that way. We want to list off uh, statistics, and I, I project that this is the best way that we can go if we have this go you know by point one in that direction and then and then it's gonna trend up with the economy like that people don't want to talk about that they want to talk about how they can actually have a better life and we can actually win that argument so yeah, i completely agree the, yeah you look at the coronavirus pandemic people don't stop at stop signs because the government put up a big red sign they stop at a stop sign because of rational self-interest and spontaneous order is a piece of that. They they know it's in their best interest to shelter in place and to limit their contact. Like, I think it's the most bonkers thing that libertarians try to push this idea that this is not a serious pandemic. It's like a communicable disease needs community. So if you can try to limit your exposure to people to get through the hump, right? That resonated with most people. Well, now we're at a point where what we believed in March isn't the same as what we believed in May. And so there's no reason to craft policy in, in, well, there's no reason to use the government at all because people just ignore the government. They do whatever they want. Like all you do when you prohibit any kind of behavior is create more bad actors. Right? So what, what you get is protests. When you have state action, you get protests. What is the fundamental difference between the man showing up with a rifle to the Michigan State House and the man showing up today at the Minneapolis police station? There isn't much of a difference. There is a lot of agreement between those two men, but they feel divided. And why do they feel divided? It's because politicians have to divide us. The two-party system has to divide us. The media, for clicks, for its own survival, has to divide us. And if you can start to say, 
that feeling of oppression that you feel is felt across the society in all the different spectrums. And in some places it is more intense than it is in other places. It is, and that is what a lot of, of my black friends were saying about the Michigan protesters. I get that they're mad, but look at them being able to show up and walk into the state house with guns and the Minneapolis protesters have tear gas launched at them. That's the fundamental difference. And so until we're equal, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm, I'm for that. I, I totally agree. We have to get to a point where those two sides are talking to each other because when Eric Garner or Floyd, George Floyd is saying, I can't breathe. There's a boot on my neck. That is a feeling deep within all of us because we fundamentally don't feel free. And so if we can start to remove the divisive language, remove, remove these barriers, trying to segment ourselves into the culture wars, I'm a big proponent of engaging in the culture wars as a way to bring people together to challenge people's assumptions, but not to use it as a platform. People like um, well, people like Tommy Lauren, for instance, on one side or Sean King on another, they use the culture wars to build their platform by pitting people against each other, you know, and they have to step down as people who own media companies. We have to step down from that approach and say, I'm not going to use my platform for personal gain. I'm going to use it to help society become better. And each one of us are publishers. Every single thing that you tweet, every single thing that you post is contributing to public opinion. Are you making the world a better place, a less divided place? Or are you making it more divided and more impossible for us to have a conversation? Because you can have a conversation about divisive topics like abortion and not walk away pissed off. There is a way to do it. You've just got to lay down your pride a little bit. And it comes from both sides, you know, the left and the right. It's like you said, they, they have to conjure up this uh, divisive uh, landscape so that they can uh, continue to push forward their team, so to speak. And it's like, well, it wasn't really in that way. They can shift the blame as well because they're like, Oh, well, well it wasn't our fault. It was the other guys be mad at them. Um, and the, and the whole notion of that, well, we we focus on a lot of messaging here as well as Nate mentioned the young Americans for Liberty speech that we did in, in conveying a message of, um, meeting people where they're at. And as you said, like the, the goal of everything is we all want essentially the same things and how do we move forward in getting there? And I think a libertarian type of philosophy is one where everyone can kind of meet in the middle so to speak, and, and get there. You know, I, um, I realize this whole Ferguson thing, the the Eric Garner, even George Floyd, George George Floyd, and all that. Uh, I I used to play basketball in this rec league, and um, I, I know you can't tell on camera, but I'm six eight, and and I do enjoy playing. I didn't play professionally or anything, but I like playing basketball. And I was playing in this rec league, and I had a very good uh, black friend of mine, Michael Jasper who's now a libertarian and very involved in the party used to be extreme left. And we just started having conversations and now he's actually a member of the libertarian party and is uh, active, an activist for them all the time. Um, but I kind of compared when I was just talking to him and trying to understand where he was coming from, especially on, with black culture and, and the difference in what they feel is systematic racism and all of that, which it is, they, they feel it because it is true. Um, 
was I mean I drew a comparison. He well, he helped me draw a comparison by the fact that I'm tall in a rec league, whether I anytime I block somebody's shot, they always call a foul on me just because I'm tall. And he's like, does that analogy make sense? And I was like, oh my God, that makes perfect sense because I feel it all the time. It's like, I just it's because unfair. I'm, it's unfair. It is like, just because I'm tall and some short guy runs in the lane and I put my hands up and he throws the ball into my hands. They call a foul on me. I'm like, I didn't do anything. Like what's going on? And I was like, it totally clicked for me. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. You know, I watched that video uh, in New York um, Amy copper or whatever the name is just absolutely disgusting things. And I think you're right as a society, we have to, we have to come together on these types of things and realize altogether our, our main enemy happens to be government throughout all of history. <laughs> you know, the, the more government we have, the more laws, the more rules and everything like that, the more power the government has over you. And, and there's, you know, there's great police officers, but the good ones have to st to stand up and say enough with the bad. The, and that's a key point is that people need to speak up as you know, Charlie Kirk does no good when he goes out and constantly promotes videos about saying white privilege is fake. And all these young kids believe that white privilege is fake instead of going out and trying to understand why that term exists uh, trying to understand white privilege does not make you an AOC loving liberal, which you're demonizing liberals, which is a whole nother conversation. It, it just is appreciating the fact that when you get stopped by the police, it is different than when Harry or Dion gets stopped by the police. The experiences in America for some people are different than other experiences. And it doesn't mean that you I think all that is asked is for people to listen. And once you understand and you process, then start talking about it. Because the reality is that an administrative state, a bureaucracy is cruel and evil because it removes the agency of the individual that carries out the order. You see this if you watch One Child Policy or One Child Nation on Amazon Prime about the one child policy in China. You see this in Nazi Germany. You see it here in America. When someone is following orders, it absolves the guilt and shame that that person feels about following the orders because they've outsourced all of that to the person giving the orders. And so... And what patriotism does is enable that system of absolution. And so when we back the blue, when we support the troops, it isn't, it isn't just a matter of saying there are decent people that are cops, there are decent people that are soldiers, because there are. I'm not a person who thinks that all people that work for the government are evil. In fact, just the opposite. I think libertarians demonize the government too much. You demonize the very people that you should be talking to, trying to... There's a great story out of Keene, New Hampshire, where the Free Talk Live guys are located. They can't keep police hired there because the Free Talk Live guys keep having lunch with the police officers and they quit after six months because those guys make them realize that their job is supporting a system that shouldn't be supported. And so we demonize government too much, but we have to realize that when we are, when we are pushing the notion of patriotism, it is an absolution of holding individuals accountable for crimes. What happened to George Floyd is a crime. It was a police officer is at the vanguard of rights protection. And so this police officer, his duty first and foremost was to protect 
George Floyd's right to life. And the other three officers that stood around and watched his right to life slip away are guilty of collusion. And the three of them should go to jail because they didn't do the thing that they are charged to do, which is uphold rights for the person in your care, in your custody. We have we have let patriotism morph the notion that a police officer's job is to protect the rights of everybody but the criminals. The job of a police officer is to protect the criminals rights and to uphold the Constitution for them. And when we absolve them and say you're going to face no consequences because it's unfair that you're being persecuted as a group by these evil black activists. We are upholding that system. And that is what is being said to most of white America. And when white America goes looking for excuses that a kid who walked through a construction site is worthy of dying because, well, he shouldn't have been there. Well, what about the 15 other people on the video that were walking through that construction site that day? That's what people do. They walk through construction sites. They're nosy. Why is that a capital offense for one set of people and not another? Because of racism, it does exist. And so at the end of the day, it is me, a white man who has had conversations with black friends that can come and give this message to a group of people who are tuning into a podcast, thinking they're going to hear about liberty and actually hearing about the systemic problems that we have overall. I'm better suited to bring this message to you because I've listened and I'm part of the in-group. And so as part of the in-group, I'm saying to fellow libertarians, just listen. You know, one guy said to me recently, how do we get more black? How do we get more blacks involved in libertarianism? What if, why don't we get a guy to run for office? Who's black? That's the wrong, that's the wrong thing. Like, that's not what, what, how you persuade people is through interpersonal relationships. And the thing that we can control are the hundred people that are in our sphere and our relationships with them. And so if you want to bring in more black libertarians, be friends with more black people. If you want to be friends with, if you want to bring in liberals and Bernie supporters, be friends with more Bernie supporters. If you want to bring in more Republicans, be friends with more Republicans and have friendly debates because I come at these conversations with the fundamental right that the other person is a human being and worthy of my respect. And just because they're a Bernie supporting socialist, that doesn't make them my enemy. Just because they vote for Donald Trump, that doesn't make them my enemy. That makes them somebody that I disagree with. And let's find the points of agreement. And so all you can control is the conversations you have with the people that you come into contact with every day. Stop trying to do anything else. So it, it really is about more being on an individual level, not, not really a top-down solution. I've, I've always said that we're not just going to elect a libertarian president and then everything's going to be okay. Like that, that just simply isn't going to work until we fix everything on an individual basis. And we, we talk about that a lot, that you need to talk to your family. Like before you try to convert the entire world to libertarianism, convert your mom to libertarianism, convert, convert your brother to libertarianism. How are you going to do it over the whole world if you can't get your small group of friends and your family to, to see that as well? And, uh, and oh, by the way, I'm using my platform and my access to a whole new group of liberal folks, black folks, to get them to understand that it's not just about police being racist. It's about the power of the entire system. When you pass a law, the police must enforce it. And the more you ask police to do, the more this is going to happen. And that's starting to resonate with them. That's what you know, we so talked about yesterday. Like it yesterday, 
with the George Floyd thing, obvious the the cop. I mean, he needs to go. He needs to go to prison. He killed someone. Um, in other instances, we've been able to say, well, there shouldn't be any drug laws in the first place. So they shouldn't have been pursuing the guy. They shouldn't have been patting the guy down. They shouldn't have done a no knock raid looking for drugs. They they shouldn't have been trying to stop a guy from selling loose cigarettes. You get rid of all of those laws and you stop all of those little things from happening because they're not just constantly hunting people all the time trying to see if they're if they're doing something that only affects people who are making their own individual decisions in the we've first place police, yeah we've put police as a great point we've put police officers in a horrible position they no longer have the time to build relationships it's the same concept you used to have community policing you used to have barney fife knew every criminal in town or <laughs> now everybody's a criminal because the police officers don't have time to build relationships they're dealing with the bottom 10 percent in terms of criminal activity. And so now 90% of the population becomes that bottom 10%. And the longer they're in the force, the more callous they become. And so now a guy doesn't mind if he has his knee on the neck of a victim, because that's not a person to him anymore. That's a criminal. That's not a human. And so we are causing by, by we, I mean, voters are causing this continual cycle. And when we don't speak out about it, so the other problem is we've removed consequences for police officers. And so when you remove the consequences, they go, well, we can do whatever we want. And so now public opinion has to be the consequence. There has to be a group of angry people outside surrounding a police station, and they need to be afraid because you are going to be held accountable by us if the bureaucracy is not going to hold you accountable. It's always been really interesting to me to see people on, let's say, the right uh, vehemently defend police officers, but also be small government slash anti-government at the same time. I've always thought that that was a really interesting thing to see that, oh, we need a small government. We have too many laws. We have too many regulations. But also the people who enforce the laws can do no wrong whatsoever and everything they do is perfect and you have to support them. It, those principles don't really line up whatsoever i've always thought that that was a really interesting dichotomy between the two of them like how do those two things go together at the same time these are the enforcers of the law of of the government it's the enforcement arm of the government that you are protesting against when you bring your gun to the capital like these are the people who enforce those laws and they need to be They're held accountable shutting down the business what's that yeah the ones shutting down the business yeah. like they're the ones that Exactly. And it comes down to tribalism. It goes back to my, my rant against patriotism. You're, you are to belong. We no longer think about term, politics in terms of ideology. If we ever did, we always, it, it, it is dividing us into certain camps and factions. And factionalism was the main thing that the constitution was designed to kill. Madison's hope was that by designing the constitutional Republic, you'd lessen factions. Well, lo and behold, roughly six months into the Constitution, faction started arising and Alexander Hamilton ruined everything. Uh, but the we now put too much stock into our own vanity. I need to have this opinion to be fashionable to my circle and my friends. If I don't virtue signal about this thing, then my friends won't like me and I won't be part of the group. And People want to look right on Instagram. They want to look right on Twitter. They want to look as part of the right crowds according to their cultural bias. And so they say the right things, they do the right things, but they never stop to think about the inconsistencies like you're talking about. And they never stop to think that maybe what I'm talking about doesn't work. 
or maybe I'm upholding a system that is oppressive. You know, well, to and do so, that, you'd have to admit that maybe you were wrong about something right. and you would have to change your mind. And and people, once they, especially once you've spoken publicly about it, now everyone speaks publicly about everything on social media, you can't change the way that you think after that because you could never potentially consider the fact that you could be wrong about something. And it's there uh, forever. I, I don't, yeah, Someone it's, can screenshot your tweet. <laughs> it's, it, it's just, I mean, we had to make big, I'm sure, have you always been a libertarian, by the way? Did you start no. off strong libertarian? No? Were you no, come from Republican, Republican or? Yep. Grew up in a Republican household. I was college Republicans chair at IUPUI in 2004. In 2003, I held a pro-war rally on the circle, which there's a video of that I have posted to my YouTube for my patrons to view. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I believe the complete opposite of what I believed in 2004 on Issues of war, for instance, but I was always pro-immigration uh, and pro-gay marriage because I believed that if I, you know, I almost got impeached as CR chair because of those things, because 04 was the gay marriage immigration election. And I thought Bush's immigration plan was fine. Yeah. Let people come and work here. It's the vote. It, it, you have to be a citizen to vote, but everybody should come and work here more. The more people working the more that the labor supply is is supplied and so demand goes up, right? It's better for the economy to have open immigration. Well, that just didn't fly with a lot of Republicans and still doesn't. It's gotten even worse now. So now they want to build walls. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. um, Back to your earlier point, uh, you know, I, I want to say, I, you know, with white privilege and uh, systematic racism, I want to say, and we also have a question here from a, from a listener. I think it's deeper than that. I think inequality goes deeper than that. And I think it's, you know, I mentioned yesterday on the show, like Martin Luther King Jr. always said, like that he has a dream that one day his daughters, his kids will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And I think I think it has to go all the way down to the level of the individual. And and honestly, you see crime rates and everything goes up at a certain economic level uh, when you look at the data. And so I think it's yes, there is some systematic racism. I think a hundred percent that 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 definitely takes place. I definitely think some people have privilege over others. I think all of that's true. But I think from a from a overall standpoint, the thing we have to move away from, in my opinion, is as you said, the faction, the groupthink, the tribalism, those types of things. People need to be judged on an individual basis and. When we group people together, whether it's for privilege or whether it's for anything at all, it automatically reduces your individual self to where what room do you have to try to be a better person or anything like that? It's like, well, for instance, white privilege, like, oh, well, I'm white. So like I'm getting ahead just because of the color of my skin, which I think is untrue or like, oh, I'm black. So I'm going to be murdered by police, which I think is also untrue. I, I think that statistically in some cases it can be higher uh, in one way or the other, if you look at, look at it on the margin, but at the same time, I think people, we need to start taking things at an individual level, which is what I think makes the, the libertarian, the libertarian philosophy so powerful is it does empower the individual to think for themselves, to not be part of a group, to not lump people in, based on the color of their skin or their economic status. And then when I think when you look at why, um, you know, crime rates and all the different things happen at a lower economic status, like what causes people to be poor? And then we go all the way back. If you break it down to the very fundamental level, it's the very fact that, well, one, inequality is a problem we can't really deal with. Like it happens in the animal kingdom, right? There's 
uh, a group uh, only a few lions eat all the meat you know what i mean uh, of the kill only a few chimpanzees you know eat all all the meat and things like that there's the pareto distribution does run true but the problem i have is is we have a systematic um government in place that passes all of these laws that don't help um that puts police officers in a bad position let's say but it also inhibits people from being economically mobile enough to move out of the lower economic status of crime and those different types of things to live and pursue a life uh, of meaning, which is one thing that we, what we try to do here is we take all of that with messaging and everything like that. And we try to help uh, people understand like, okay, all lo and behold, all of these issues that we're hoping to correct as we keep talking about them. But at the same time, you have to pursue a life of meaning and take personal responsibility and the market is the market. Right. And so I think all of that, I think as we boil things down to an individual level and start to listen to people on a case by case basis, we won't group people into, um, you know, these different types of factions that creates a further divide. That's, that's yeah. what I would push back a little bit on the white privilege. And, thing. and I would say that don't cherry pick statistics to keep that system of oppression in place. And that's what a lot of people do. Right. And because fundamentally racism and racist ideology of any kind is a collectivist ideology. Yes. And it robs people of seeing others as human beings. It all comes down to the dignity of the individual that you are looking at and not assuming that you are better or worse than other people. It is that you are equal. We start equal. And so, you know, Jonah Goldberg wrote a great book. I think it's called Death of the West or Suicide of the West, where he talks about the miracle. And the miracle of the American founding and the the idea of individualism and capitalism and these enlightenment ideas that have led to the rising of all boats. And the the poor person in America today is not the poor person of 100 or 200 years ago. And that is because our values, by and large, while not everyone started equal, they eventually became equal. And we built a system in America that allowed more people to achieve freedom. Even in our lifetimes, people who are gay are, are able to have the same legal privileges that everyone else has. And so we've removed that legal discrimination. Now, you may not want to go to a church that marries gay couples. That's your legal right. That's your fundamental liberty to do, make that choice. Don't go. And it should, <laughs> it, exactly right. It's so That's easy. Freedom. That's liberty. And so, and so, the the miracle and, and what we're giving up oftentimes because libertarians even do this so go on your facebook page right now and say something bad about ron paul and then come and get back to me and tell me that we don't have a cultish a cult of personality around ron paul i'm a libertarian because of ron paul i like and revere ron paul but ron paul is a human being that has been turned into an infallible avatar that can no longer be spoken against because he's become a a, a, a this crowned individual he's a libertarian no trump yes and so we yeah. we have our own set of tribalistic we we look to figures and make them bigger than they are and they can do no wrong and then use you know use like judge jim gray's statements on jury nullification if anybody understands what that is he it was used basically as a litmus test to say he's not a real libertarian. Don't support him. If you support Judge Jim Gray, you then you support this bad idea. 
Well, that's one idea that isn't even germane to the office he was running for. That it, it just was tribalism. It's heresy. He was a heretic. Burn him at the stake. Say something bad about Ron Paul. We'll burn you. It's libertarian cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And we have it. It's happening to Spike Cohn because he, t- he, was, he posed in a calendar for charity where he was in a beach without a shirt on. So we now have to cancel Spike Cohn now. It doesn't matter the totality of the individual and how qualified he is as a messenger. It's that he didn't have a shirt on. That's cancel culture. We have our own version of it in the libertarian movement. And what that does is that says, I'm part of this tribe and I'm not part of your tribe. I'm part of this in-group. You're part of that out-group and we have to fight now. Instead of going individually, this person has some things on their record I don't like, but by and large, I'm going to vote for Joe Jorgensen. I'm pro-life. I didn't want to vote for a pro-choice candidate in Gary Johnson, but I did because we agree on 90% of things. That's called being an adult. And so we in the libertarian movement are giving up those enlightenment values and individualism and, and forming tribal coalitions that are really harmful to our movement and racism and the protection of that ideology by some factions, because we want to deny that it exists is playing in into that. And it's not, it's not right. It's not libertarian and it's not pro individualism. I will say, um, when it comes to spike, uh, I don't. Maybe I could admit that I'm that I'm wrong a little bit here or something like that. But I did what you were just talking about just then when it came to Spike. I made a snap decision and a snap call on Spike, just so you know, based on his profile photo and the way that he projects himself. I don't know anything about him really whatsoever. Now I'll say my worry on that is the political future of the Libertarian Party and the fact that I believe he is more likely to be the one that would get on the news and get in front of people because of the motives that the news would have if they were going to talk to the libertarians. But I will say, I felt I felt that way about him, didn't really see him as a serious person until I decided to take some time and listen to him speak uh, over the last couple of days and, and this morning. He's actually really, he's actually really good. Um, he, he, I was super anti-vermin. And yeah. he came on my podcast and I, I interviewed him twice and Spike changed my mind on him. He changed my mind on the whole thing. He's a gifted messenger. And the people who are mad about it, here's the thing about Libertarian Party. It's, it's fashionable to crap on the Libertarian Party and it's acceptable in our culture. And the second we stop that, the more functional the Libertarian Party will be because we're all looking for a reason not to volunteer, not to give our time, not to give a donation not to have to do work. And so when something comes along that's convenient, like him not having a shirt on, we go, oh, there's the thing that will absolve me of the guilt of not doing anything for the next six months. And so we use it as a convenient excuse to not do work. Well, I'm calling you out for that. I'm saying that's not right. Like if you're a libertarian, learn about the guy, go talk to him. You have a show, interview him. Because like I did. I was impressed with him. I, I wasn't going to interview Vermin. I wasn't going to interview Spike. I didn't know who Spike was until I co-hosted Jess and Chrissy's podcast and had a conversation with them. And I walked away going, their tactics are not all that different from my tactics in terms of using satire and, and, and being irreverent to try and get people to think in a different way. And so people who are bitching about Spike have not given Spike a chance, don't know anything about him, and they're just being intentionally obstinate and ignorant of the man because they don't want to do work. Because if I learn about this person and I like him, I might have to give some time and money, and man, I don't want to do that because I'm too busy with my life. I'll, All right, I'll, well, 
I think I'll he, I'll push back on that a little bit because you know I understand exactly what you're saying, and as far as libertarian goes, do the interview naked. I, like I really don't care. That's your freedom. That's awesome. But in a business standpoint, it's just bad marketing, and and it's bad marketing for new people coming into the party. That's what it is, and it's like why not just do an interview with the shirt on? I don't understand why the shirt has to come off. Maybe it's to make a statement. I don't know, but I, I like spike. I like what he stands for. His, his policies and things like that are great, but, and I understand the calendar. That's your, awesome. Your but problem he, is someone who has he, no idea what libertarianism exactly. is and it's their first time. Right. And this, and they're like, this is what a libertarian is right here. Right. It's like the guy who, you know, the, who is the, the guy who took his clothes I, off I in Orlando. It's a bad yeah, marketing. It's just bad marketing. I don't disagree with you that it's not the smart thing to do. It's not the best messaging, but the reality is name five libertarian party VPs. Can't can't. Right. Done. And the only time that anybody's ever going to hear about spike cone is when you're, when you're framing this as a negative on your Facebook page for your listeners going, look at this fucking liberty. Excuse me. I don't know if I can no, curse. Do whatever you want. You freaking libertarian and look at James weeks and, the more we amplify that and point that out, that's the thing that you've, you've now, you choose the framing of the situation. You can let it go. You can let this pass. You can never talk about this. And you know, who's going to know about this? A thousand libertarians, but we can all post about it True. and we can all talk about the bad marketing and, and crap on the guy. And then tens of thousands of people will know about it. It's all in the framing. And so what I'm choosing to do with this is to say, Everybody choose how you frame the Libertarian Party, because how you frame it is how your friends and family think about it. And when you are constantly posting negatives about the Libertarian Party, then your friends and family will think that. Am I enthused that Joe Jorgensen is the nominee? No. Will people be impressed when they see Joe Jorgensen? No. Will she get in the media and have lots of media appearances? Probably not. Does that mean that I'm going to spend the rest of the campaign season bitching about Joe Jorgensen and what a bad choice it was and she's not my ideal libertarian? No, they did that about Gary Johnson. And you know what people's perception of the LP after four years of bitching is? What a mess. What yeah. a joke. And it's because people go, well, that's not my ideal libertarian candidate. Well, that wasn't your effing choice. It was Austin Peterson, Daryl Perry, or John McAfee, or Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson was the best choice. And he was not embarrassing, except for a few incidents that we continue to amplify. And we choose to frame Gary Johnson as a failure, despite the fact that there are multiple states in this party that are voting for the very first time with automatic ballot access because of the success of Gary Johnson's media strategy. That's I, not a failed campaign. I definitely have been on the uh, complaining about Gary Johnson thing. I'll come right out about that. I am a libertarian. I have paid my dues. I did not vote for Gary Johnson um, because I uh, he he lost me. He he lost me before I the election. Get past so the bake the cake. I couldn't do it because like, it, he told me when he said he told me with the bake the cake thing that he didn't think that individuals have their own freedom and their own freedom to have association with whoever they choose. And when, when I heard that, I was like, why would I go vote? I'm just going to write in who I think should be the president. Uh, because like, what's the difference here? Uh, if, who, did you, who did you write in? I, I wrote, I wrote in Ron Paul. So no, do you Rand, agree, with, his, do you agree with, um, do you agree with Ron Paul's constant, you bringing pork back to his district or do you agree with Rand Paul and, Things like endorsing 
the child molester down in Alabama. Like, uh, I, I'm sure if you give me some time, I can think of all the bad legislation that Ron Paul that ran and Ron There's Paul. There's been had. plenty. I think bringing the pork back to his district was uh, was definitely questionable with Ron for sure. Uh, I think it came down to the to the fundamental question of uh, individual rights, and I, I couldn't. Uh, I I just couldn't get behind it with with that i just i just couldn't do it it was like justin now, amash i mean we disagreed with a few things with justin amash but fundamentally he's for individual liberty and i think that's where for me at least where gary johnson crossed the line it wasn't the aleppo although that was obviously not great it wasn't the other things it was mainly the the stance that you don't have freedom of association or or individual liberty and like i agree with him bake the cake to all the christians bake the cake. There's no reason not to. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that you can say, well, I think that we, we can use title nine or, or whatever and make sure that the cake is baked. It's like, you can't use the government force to enforce what you think is right. And I think that's where, that's where he lost me. Like, I think there's, you know, there's infighting in every crowd. And what I always say is like, look, the lesser of three evils is still evil. And I think there has to be some kind of crossroad between I am party no matter what, or I believe in something like I stand for something. I have principles that if you cross a line, I can't follow you. In fact, I'll say Joe watching the the two debates that I watched, she was my second choice. Um, at, you know, and when Amash dropped out, I was like, okay, well I, I like Joe the best. Um, and so I think that she, she's a, she's a fine candidate. I don't think that the libertarian party is going to, uh, get more votes than they did in 2016, perhaps they might. And I hope they do. I hope the party does well. But I, to me, there's a crossroads between like, I'm going to support the party no matter what versus like I stand on principle and there's certain things that I believe. And if you cross the line, I can't go there with you. Sure. And that's, and that's totally, you're right. I view it as it's different degrees. I don't have that black and white thinking about certain things because in politics, it's all about compromise. And you have to make your own decision as to where that line of compromise comes. To me, Rand Paul and Gary Johnson are compromisers, you know, much different than Jacob Hornberger, for instance, who is refusing or will not, or Adam Kokesh won't compromise on anything, right? And so uh, you, you, you mentioned something in there like, uh, if, it's it's different degrees, right? But it's quick, like Michael. Quick question for you. Quick question take, for you. Take the red pill, but not the whole bottle, right? Like you can <laughs> you can be skeptical of vaccines, but that doesn't mean that Bill Gates is a hobgoblin who's trying to dominate world control. Like <laughs> right. yeah. just because you may may recognize that vaccine courts, for instance, exist, it does not mean that you have to go all the way to Bill Gates is going to microchip you. You know, like there's there's different degrees of these sorts of things, and so. Uh, is there any doubt that Justin Amash is a stronger libertarian in many, many different ways than Gary Johnson? Absolutely. He is a much better candidate than Bob Barr or Gary Johnson. And I was very excited about him running for, for those reasons. You know, was Gary Johnson weak on certain things? Yes. But was Gary Johnson the best choice of Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Evan McMullen? You're damn right. He was. I, I don't disagree with that. As far as the, the, let's say the major choices that were available. Yeah. He was definitely the best one, but there was this, I don't know. To me, it's about again, individually, like I, I believe you have to vote your conscience and be able to go to bed at night. Like I have to be able to go to bed at night and be like, okay, I did the right thing 
for what I believe in. Um, I, I, I want to ask you this question. Um, and, and to me, this is great. Cause like, I, this is making me think a lot more about what I believe. And, and I think one thing, as you mentioned at the very beginning of the show, like doing a show, obviously you're putting your ideas out to the world and you're like, Hey, where am I dumb? Like, where am I wrong? You know, (laughs) hit me back. And like you said, you evolve so much um, by talking to people and doing this show. And it's like, Hey, I'm putting my ideas out there. Challenge me. And I've changed a lot. I definitely over the last, you know, 10, 12 years I've changed since 2008, but even now I've changed a, a few stances that I used to have. And it's because, you know, you put these ideas out there and the world will come back to you and be like, challenge you on different things. And so, you know, I wanted to think like, didn't, I feel like didn't compromising get us here. You know, you have to me, it's the, the, the progressives are like, we want a hundred percent tax. And the Republicans are like, we want 10%. And they're like, okay, we'll do 50. And they're like, well, we'll do 20. And so like nobody, nobody's coming from the stance of like, okay, we want zero and let, then let's compromise from where we're at now. And so, I don't know. The compromise don't, is always up, not it's, it's all, not yeah, down. The compromise is always more government. The compromise is always more laws. The compromise is always a higher tax rate. It's always something. It, very rarely do we have a compromise um, where we're getting rid of things. Now, I, I will say to, to Trump's credit, there has been a lot of deregulation. And to the pandemic's credit, there's been a lot of deregulation <laughs> in the medical field and things like that. Uh, but Trump's also done a lot of terrible things. Sure. Yeah, the Trump's also done a lot of terrible <laughs> things. You know, like I, obviously the wall. Nate's more of a statist on on borders. I'm not than the rest of us uh, part of this podcast. <laughs> but uh, you know, the wall and the tariffs and the spending is out of control and all kinds of crazy things. But it's like, where you know, how do we get? Let Let me ask you this: How do we move the needle to where we, when we compromise, it's in the favor of liberty and not in the favor of tyranny? All right. So there's two ways to think about this. There's first in terms of politics and government, and then in terms of the libertarian movement and how we think, right? So let me start with how we think. So 10 years ago, I go to an LNC meeting in South Carolina and Mary Ruart, who has literally written the book on libertarianism and several Q and a books looks at me in a meeting and says, I'm just further down the Liberty train than you are. And years from now, you will look back and recognize that I just know, I'm paraphrasing, you know, I know more than you, right? And she was absolutely right. Because when you become a libertarian and you have your conversion, your spiritual-like experience, you... (laughs) You come out of the waters of libertarian baptism. (laughs) Right. You know, when I first became a libertarian, I thought of things in terms of issues. If I have 51% of the right issues, then I'm a libertarian, right? And maybe that is the way to think about it. But I remember just looking at a guy that at a, at a meetup in 2009 going, this is all just so confusing. And he goes, well, no, once you get a couple basic ideas down and you start rigorously applying that to all these different issues, then it becomes easier. That's where I'm at now. And so everybody starts from a position of ignorance across the board, right? Even as kids. And so are you saying that's where we are? No, 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 no. I'm saying that. <laughs> Don't I'm even know a word yet. <laughs> somebody like Gary Johnson or Bill Weld in 2016 finished the race more libertarian than they began it because many, many people sat down and had conversations with those guys saying, have you thought about it from this perspective? And on the bake the cake stuff, Austin Peterson, whom I love, 
used that as a cudgel to win a primary. And that became part of his legacy. It became twisted. And it, and it wasn't where Gary Johnson finished. He became more understanding of the proper libertarian stance on that because it wasn't something that he had thought very deeply about, I don't think, in that, in that particular debate hosted by Stossel. Which you could say maybe of, he hasn't thought deeply about a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> just, I don't agree with that, but I do think that you, there is a valid argument to be made that you should have had probably a deeper thought about a lot of these issues if you're running for president and right, on the MP yeah, ticket. Right, That's why yeah. a lot of us are more impressed with Justin Amash because you can tell the guy's deep and yes. he's thought a lot about this stuff. And so I, what, I, what I think people need to realize is that when you criticize Gary Johnson, when you criticize Donald Trump, when you criticize AOC, people don't hear it in terms of you criticizing Gary Johnson. They hear you criticizing, oh my gosh, I like Gary Johnson. I'm here because of Gary Johnson. Why are they criticizing me? And so it, it, it does contribute to factionalism. And so the compromise in, in that, a person is ignorant of some things. We're we're all the sum total of the knowledge that has been shared with us. And so if you want to understand more about the world, you have to diversify your intellectual life to understand more about the world. That's kind of the whole conversation we're having here and, and what we do at We Are Libertarians. I share a book a day on our social media recommending books. We're up to 32 now because I want to expand the horizons of libertarian thinking beyond just Murray Rothbard who is great, who is excellent, excellent, who I have no problems with, but he isn't just the only libertarian writer in existence, right? There are many other different things for us to think about. Now, then there's the second form of compromise. If you are Jacob Hornberger or Chris Spangle or Tom Woods or Dave Smith and you host a podcast or you're a writer or you're a columnist, you are in the intellectual class. And as Thomas Sowell talks about in his book, Intellectuals in Society, Intellectuals are completely protected from the consequences of their actions. It's part of what we're having around the pandemic. Uh, experts, quote unquote, are completely, you know, there may be a Neil Ferguson who is brought to ruin over the Imperial College study, but he'll by and large regain his reputation. An intellectual like Paul Krugman or Chris Spangle can say whatever we want without real consequences. There's nobody really holding us accountable. We can lose our reputation, but then you can kind of gain that back over time. Uh, and so you can say whatever you want. You can be as purely libertarian as possible, but once you actually get elected or you start running for office, then the reality set in. If you go to the state house of Indiana you can be the most pure elected official if by some miracle you get elected running on pure libertarian thought and you show up, you become the most ineffective person there. When in reality, let's say you're the, it's 50 to 49 plus one, you become the swing vote as the libertarian. All of a sudden you're put in a position in the general assembly where you're the decider. And so you make all these different decisions. But when you go to run for another office, I then can pick apart your record like we've done as a movement to Justin Amash and saying these compromises over here where you you said, okay, I'm going to go with the party on this thing, even though I don't totally agree with it, because I'm going to focus on ending the the surveillance state. That's my thing. That's what I really want to focus on. And if I have to endorse this piece of crap or I have to vote on this thing that I don't totally agree on to get to trade that vote for ending the surveillance state. I don't see how that's a net negative for liberty. 
And so, yes, Justin Amash could have gone and, and he could have been the purest member of Congress and he could have said no to literally everything. But Ron Paul didn't do it. Justin Amash didn't do it. Rand Paul doesn't do it. Thomas Massey doesn't do it because they understand that if you are in government, you are going to have to negotiate and horse trade a little bit. And so we're unforgiving of the people who are actually doing the work and actually making advances and actually removing laws. And sometimes because we want a pure de destination libertarianism as opposed to that directional approach. I think I, the, I think they're sorry, Charlie. I was ahead. just going to say, and I, and I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, I think in some ways you do have to play the game uh, because that's the game. But at the same time, I think there has to be some uncompromising positions. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the live guys here, Maurice, says there are some non-negotiables. I can't vote for someone who goes against the basic principle of life, liberty, and property. Uh, so the, and, and that was my thing with, with Gary Johnson was it was a basic fundamental liberty principle. Uh, and, and you may be right. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, and I did like Austin Peterson in 2016, he would, he would have been my choice to be the, the nominee. Um, but, and maybe Gary Johnson did grow from that. I don't know. I, I will state that I, maybe my ignorance is showing in the fact that I didn't know Gary Johnson had moved away from that position, but, it, but I, I think there, you do have to play the game. Uh, but also there has to be some lines, you know, drawn in, in concrete. Well, for instance, you can't cross. We, we did another, uh, a live thing, um, here at one of the colleges here. And there was a, a libertarian there who said that they thought that Bernie Sanders was the best libertarian option because he would end the foreign wars. And, 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 audit, so that, and audit the Fed. And audit the Fed. And so uh, it reminded me of something when you were saying like, well, I really care a lot about the surveillance state, so I'm going to try and do what I can to get rid of that. There has to be a line there somewhere where you say, okay, Bernie Sanders might end foreign wars. But do you but actually we're destroy end up, our economy yeah, getting but, there? <laughs> but do but do millions and millions of people die because of bad economics? Like there has to be a line where you say, I don't only care about ending foreign wars. Therefore, I'm fine with Bernie Sanders becoming president because because that's my thing. I have a principled line that I would have drawn in the sand right there, and that's what Maurice said there: that life, liberty, and property, um, the basic basic tenets that that he obviously does not agree with. It doesn't matter how much I disagree with our foreign wars. I would not be able to go vote for Bernie Sanders because I thought he was going to do that. And, yeah. and so, I, you know, I, I think there's a line there between, between the compromise and between playing the political game. And, uh, you know, that, I, I think it, you have it, a lot of good I points did. about the criticizing, uh, criticizing people and drawing attention to that. Um, we've grown over time. You know, I was not a Libertarian Party member. Mark Clare, who you hate vehemently, uh, talk, talked me <laughs> talked me into joining the Libertarian Party uh, with his with the way that he described it. I'd never thought about it before. Is like if, if you want to, if you disagree with the party, if you think they're going down the wrong path, like people like you aren't joining the party. And if you want it to change, then you're going to have to join the party and be the person that's in that party. And, the, and they'll never go the direction if people like Nate and Charlie and Chris don't join the Libertarian Party and and move it in that direction. They'll, they'll never go towards that direction because people like you aren't joining. And so I've grown on that over time, but I, I still, you know, I just... 
he he crossed he crossed my line. I just I just couldn't do and it. That's, but. that's really what it comes down to. And let me challenge Maurice here a little bit. With all <laughs> due respect, life, liberty, and property is very vague and very open to interpretation. And so Gary Johnson probably fundamentally, by and large, supports upholding life, liberty, and property. Right. So what are the litmus tests? I think there are some litmus tests. I think you, I think it's very hard to call yourself a libertarian and support foreign war and, and, and intervention across the board. Uh, it, war is the absolute destroyer of all things, economic, personal liberties. Uh, it just, there, there's nothing libertarian about a war. You know, you can make the argument that a war for self-protection uh, is that, but if you're, if you're engaging in peaceful commerce, the war usually doesn't take place. So there are litmus tests like that, but let's call it what it is. The, pr- the people who cry, we need a principled candidate go, we need a principled candidate, but it's all based on their feel. Everybody's doing this on feel, right? Ideology doesn't necessarily come into play with it. It's kind of this person ticks enough of my boxes that I like this person. And that's what I'm doing. That's what he's doing. That's what Maurice is doing. It all comes down to our personal preference. And then we want to call it principled and lie to ourselves that somehow this is a more principled stance. So does Gary Johnson and Jacob Hornberger, for instance, does Jacob Hornberger talk in a more quote unquote principled stance? Yes. Does he, does he have the right policy solutions? Yes. Was he more prepared to be president? Probably not, because what was missing from Jacob Hornberger's set of tools in terms of running for president that Gary Johnson had was managing a large state bureaucracy and having an understanding of how to advance liberty in a bureaucratic system. That, to me, is important. I want Justin Amash to be the nominee over Joe Jorgensen because he has a set of experiences and beliefs about the system that come into play. That's part of my personal feel. Now, everybody's making their own calculation, right? Based on their own personal preference. But then we want to dress it up and call it something else. And really what it comes down to is I like Gary Johnson and you guys didn't. And it, 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 and while I respect what you're saying, there also is a measure of us trying to pretend that our personal preference isn't the main driver a lot of a lot of this stuff because by and large, Gary Johnson held way more libertarian beliefs than anybody else running for president in November of 2016. But we don't want to give him that credit because we want a Jacob Hornberger to run because that's our personal preference. And that's fine, but you don't need to put Gary Johnson down to make that case. Jacob Hornberger lost this election because he did that nine part video on why Justin Amash sucked. He turned the guns inward. And everybody remembered the Harry Brown thing that I didn't know. I just, I literally just paid $40 to FFF today to renew my subscription to Jacob's magazine, right? So I admire and respect Jacob, but he lost that race because he went negative because he said to everybody who didn't like Jacob, I'm your next. And I'm, I'm willing to destroy the movement to get what I want. And people don't like that. And that's sort of what's happened with Gary Johnson. Now, Bill Weld, Listen, what's the difference between Gary Johnson and Bill Weld? Again, it comes down to Gary Johnson ticked more of the libertarian issue boxes than Bill Weld did. He had a slightly more better understanding of libertarian philosophy than Bill Weld. Bill Weld felt like an opportunist, seems like an opportunist. Gary Johnson still retweeting the libertarian party, by the way, like in the last two weeks, you know, like he's still involved and he's still taking shit. He's still constantly being criticized and he's still showing up. And we don't give him credit for that. 
you know, because it doesn't help our personal goals and trying to advance the party in the way that we'd like to go. And I think that sucks. Well, tell me, uh, so we don't spend, uh, you know, any more, I really didn't intend on this to become a conversation about Gary Johnson. He's not running for president. Just so everyone <laughs> listening, uh, uh, he's, he's I not. I think this is a great conversation. I love this conversation, yeah. but uh, pointing away from the criticism of a guy from four years ago and towards Joe, I know we're running out of time here, but um, tell me, let's say we have a, a Republican listening or a libertarian that has never uh, looked at Joe Jorgensen's stances whatsoever. Is she worthy of my vote as a, as a libertarian? I'm a libertarian party member. You think she's got, you, you think she's got the stuff to, to get my vote? Ideologically, yes. Is she prepared to be president of the United States? I don't think she's prepared to run for office yeah. as a presidential candidate. I mean, that's part of my criticism of choosing her, but that's where choosing the most principled candidates got us. Like it got us to somebody that doesn't know who, like in media interviews, in those debates that we hosted, she'd say, oh, I'm not going to answer that question. And then she'd answer the question. Like, do you think that a Mike Wallace type interviewer or Jake Tapper isn't going to tear her apart? You know, is, is this a person that has thought deeply about who will fill her cabinet, who will serve on her Supreme Court? How, how will she find 500 people to staff agencies? I don't know that she's thought about that. And I don't think she's made the case that that's, that's, that's part of why Gary Johnson was a better choice, right? Do you think like, she knows that she's not going to have to do that? <laughs> I, she's not going to have to do it. I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm right. saying, do you think maybe she, maybe she's only thinking about the things she, she thinks she might need to think about? I don't know. But answering questions on Fox News or CNN is going to be a pretty important part. The, the Libertarian Party chose a candidate for the Libertarian Party. They chose somebody that they trusted. The thousand delegates that showed up to vote for this nominee are the thousand people that have known her since the nineties. They trust her with the message. They wanted somebody. This is a unity ticket. It is Joe Jorgensen from the nineties and spike the first millennial candidate to ever appear on a major party, minor party ballot. You know, like he's the vermin and Hornberger choice, you know, and I, I like spike and I like Joe personally, but this is a choice for libertarians. And it's they, a makeup call for the Johnson weld ticket that people were upset about potentially. Partly. Yeah, partly. And you know what we're going to get? We're going to lose ballot access in all those different states. Yeah. But what choice was there, right? Like put up Vermin or Jacob or Mons or like once Justin Amash dropped, dropped out, like I've never seen a candidate announce for our nomination and be on the Sunday shows that week. Yeah. You know, it, and so it, the, the pandemic really blew all the plans apart. Amash dropping out blew all the plans apart. And so really what, what were people left with? So I can be critical of her nomination and, and her ability to do the job. But what's the choice, right? Like when I walk into the voting booth, it's, I don't consider this the, the lesser of three evils. Like Joe Jorgensen, should she win by a miracle, is going to ideologically be a better president than Donald Trump or Joe Biden would, right? So am, am I the best guy to make the case for Joe Jorgensen as the presidency? No, I, I'm probably the most critical voice of the campaign because it doesn't tick that personal box of being prepared for the office that they're seeking. I got it. I, I like it, man. And I think we all, I mean, you know, Ayn Rand status, we're all selfish in nature, you know, There's, right. we, we all want our personal preferences, preferences to prevail. 
Um, you know, I just, you know, one, the one thing I can't get past and, and one thing I really like that young Americans for Liberty does is they viability is a point of contention for them. Uh, and you know, they require a certain dress code and, and different things. And it's like, I, you know, the market as, as libertarians, we believe in the free market and voting is a free market. Um, you know, I, I think there has to be, I don't know. I, I kind just of feel it's like, as free as all the other markets we have. Right. <laughs> I just feel like there has to be some kind of uh, viability level or measurement that says, uh, you know, what's what's the chances of this person well, getting ahead? What I just said on our live Q&A we did the other day was I and you might strongly disagree with this, but I don't care if a libertarian ever gets elected ever what i do care about is that the people who do get elected as the representatives of the people are are liberty minded people that they that they care about those things i don't care about what their political party is whatsoever and sure. and I, I can't hold that line or i would have never voted for ron paul justin amash would not be someone we'd be talking about right now you know so if you if you hold that line then then you never you never have those people at all and i, I libertarians bother me with that sometimes whether like libertarian or bust and i'm like man you're just a political partisan hack just like everyone else is like isn't, totally isn't liberty you. Yeah. what you want like who cares if it's a libertarian party i don't care you're telling me justin yeah. amash is not a good person to have in congress if he's a republican come on like that, yeah. that's a win there is no doubt that you know when i was the executive director all the amash Massey, Rand Paul, Ron Paul crowd from 08 to 12 is when I did the job, right? All those Republicans said, change it from the inside, join us. You're wasting your time. Join Campaign for Liberty, your young Americans for Liberty. And I said, well, why don't you endorse some libertarian candidates too? Oh, uh, you know, it's just, uh, we got to focus on changing it from the inside. So there's a little bit of schadenfreude that I have that Justin Amash said on an interview that I had with him that it can't be changed from the inside. It kind of fell a little good. But the reality is that Young Americans for Liberty does spectacular work. I'll take libertarianism, what, whatever party I can get it. You know, what, if the vehicle is Thomas Massey or Justin Amash in the Republican Party, fine, right? Like Rand Paul raises a lot of great points for libertarianism. Fine, right? Like, there's the guy, the guy who is the seat is the chairman of the board of the Liberty fund. His name is Nate Feltman. He lives here in Indianapolis and he, the Liberty fund is a big libertarian think tank based out here in Indy. He also owns half the Indianapolis business journal, which is probably the most influential paper in town. Now, like that guy's doing just as much for libertarianism as anybody else. Like, so, so you can get it anywhere you take it. Yeah. Agreed. I, I'm definitely a young Americans for Liberty type libertarian because I always ask myself like we have a libertarian president tomorrow Jacob Hornberger gets elected I'm not saying he would do this I don't know what his policies would be but tomorrow we take taxation down to zero we get rid of every single agency we get rid of the welfare state all those things and next week they're all gone coming from what we have right now is that actually going to be a good thing right now to remove everything immediately or should we move towards that over over the next few decades, ste stepping it down? I've always been someone that thinks uh, I don't I don't think that it we could actually withstand removing everything to strict libertarian philosophy overnight. Like uh, I I would I'd rather have I'd rather have Rand Paul or now that I think about it, 
Gary Johnson for a little while. <laughs> you know, I'd rather have that person for 10, 20, 30 years stepping it down before before we just get someone who's going to remove the entire thing overnight. I think that would be better long term than than destroying the entire terrible, terrible system that you, we've constructed. You even said so, you would take a, an entire Senate full of Ted Cruz's. I would right now, <laughs> if we had an entire yeah. Senate that was all Ted Cruz, it would be funny to look at and would actually have way better policies more than likely like it, why and, wouldn't you right now <laughs> ted cruz and aoc have agreed on policy points because there are points that aoc brings up we have a magazine at we are libertarians called heretic and it's managed by ryan Lindsay, who we lovingly joke is a communist but he <laughs> is a left-leaning libertarian who really likes aoc because she raises a lot of points about around criminal justice things that libertarians agree with you know, and Ted Cruz, Glenn Beck, these conservatives and and progressives can raise can be allies in some of this stuff. I, I totally agree with you. I think that if 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 you hate the way that the media has treated Donald Trump, imagine if Gary Johnson or Justin Amash or Joe Jorgensen got elected, because that's how they're going to treat them. And it's because ultimately we have not recaptured the hearts and minds of Americans. Progressives, thanks to education, have done that. And so what I have been guilty of and am trying to correct over the next few years of We Are Libertarians is spending too much time talking about change and not enough time talking about hope. There's a new book by Cato out called Visions of Liberty that basically is a, a, a book this thick with Here's the libertarian vision of healthcare, the libertarian vision of social security, the libertarian vision of reform. And so it's in vogue for libertarian podcasters in the media space to beat up on libertarian reformers. But we need those people because we need to go out and talk to our friends and family through the next few months and actually have an idea of how we're going to run healthcare if we were in charge. We actually have to have an answer for what we would do about the entitlement system. How do we how do we move from a welfare state to a non-welfare state? What does that look like? And I guarantee if you ask most libertarians who are really harping and, and in some cases myself harping on purity and we have to be we have to have that we can't be reformers. We have to have bold stances. How would you uh, what would your healthcare system look like? Right. And people want solutions. Uh, be the people proposing no solutions yes. and not right. just criticizing everyone else's solutions. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I got it's easy to be knee jerk reflexive contrarian. Because yeah. if you're a contrarian and you manage let's say you're a contrarian who runs the AIER stuff and your name is Jeff Jeffrey Tucker and you're just constantly contrarian about everything. Well, then lo and behold, the pandemic doesn't look as bad and all of a sudden you're right. Right. Yeah. But if you came out and said, like Nick Sarwark, this is going to be really bad and then it doesn't turn out to be really bad. It's it's easier to criticize the person who made the positive statement than it is to criticize the person who made the negative statement. And we let our libertarian think tanks and our libertarian media outlets, including myself, I hold myself accountable to this. We talk too much about what we don't like and not enough about what we would do. And so I think as podcasters, we have to start focusing on libertarian solutions and talking about what our plan is. That's why people like Tom Wood so much. He does have he does have conversations on his podcast about what a libertarian future looks like. Same with Robert Murphy. These people offer solutions. And that's, that's really like my next, where I need to go more and focus less on the bullshit. We do too. That's, that's been one of our main things is saying that we will propose a solution to the problems that we're talking about. And when it comes down to it, 
And uh, I, I, I know we're, uh, I know we're out of time here, but the, the, the solution is always the individual liberty and personal responsibility. That sounds cliche, but that is the baseline solution to all the problems that we're talking about. Now, uh, the actual policy solution. Now, that's not a very poli- not a very good policy. I could write down what your healthcare policy, and I could put personal responsibility and individual liberty, and and maybe people aren't going to be able to get behind that as well. So you need to be able to dictate out, show people what that would look like. Why would things get cheaper? Why why would this look better? How how's that going to happen over time? And actually give them something tangible that they can that they can look at and see as a vision because not everyone has this trust in the in the free market like people like people like us do all the time and and I think it's important to keep the purity conversation to me is important on the stance that you always know the principle that you're building your solutions off of so like you have to strengthen that and talk about you know, what is all of this coming from? What is our purity libertarian form? And how is it that when I look at a news story, I'm able to dissect it and point out the manipulation and not get emotional about it and and all that? Well, it comes from that baseline understanding of my my pure belief in self-ownership. And then, and then I build from that afterwards. So I think there's a good balance between the two of talking the pure libertarianism and where that comes from and what we would actually do on policies as well, which, which a lot of people just don't do enough of. But, yeah, one yeah, thing. Every movement absolutely needs that, that purest standpoint. You, it is necessary to have a Jacob Hornberger and an Adam Kokesh to hold accountable for when a Bill Weld comes in, right? What that side of things needs to do is allow a space for a Judge Jim Gray or Justin Amash to outline their pragmatic solutions. And pragmatists are often more willing to, because they believe in the radical ideology, entertain those ideas. But the, the radical side of things are not often, you know, they'll twist the into judges laddered out of welfare, or whatever, into UBI and use that as a cudgel against him. And that's where I just think as a movement, we, we have to allow space for all these different lanes to achieve our goal and say everybody's activism is worthy. If there's one thing that we, that we know something about, it's healthcare for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Cause we operate a, a software company that, that does, uh, we, we're, we're, we're in business because of government regulation. Essentially we create efficient solutions for, for hospitals on the financial side of things. And so, uh, you, you want to talk, <laughs> you want to talk about making the healthcare system more affordable. I mean, I could give you a list of a million things and, 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 and we do work on those types of things. Um, I, I've got, I know we got to go here, but, uh, I got two things for you. Uh, one, what do you make of Trump? Uh, when we talked to the Lions of Liberty guys, Brian made a very solid point that made me think really hard about it. And I want to know what your thoughts are. Uh, is His thoughts are that he hates Lions of Liberty. Well, it's, I know that. Well, but, have you ever but, heard anybody be wrong louder than Brian McWilliams? <laughs> I've never heard anyone be wrong funnier than Brian McWilliams. You know what I mean? <laughs> that guy is on, so, his, on his toes all the time. So the question was proposed, like, is Trump the most libertarian uh, you know, president of our lifetime. And, and to, and I want to, I want the most difficult question I ever had to answer. He, and he asked me that and I was like, I want to <laughs> couple that with, uh, based on our stance of moving Liberty forward, no matter how far the train <laughs> goes, is Trump not the best vote for 2020 then? Oh God. That's uh, Hey, is he the most Go libertarian man. president of our lifetime? Go and man. if he is, 
it does, does he not deserve the vote based it's on our, based on compromising? Say, Gary, it's amazing that we will say Gary Johnson sucks and is not a libertarian <laughs> over one thing. Then we will say the guy that is dropping drone bombs all over the world. That's like, what. I, that's why I'm asking. Right. It's again. It's all varying degrees of how our personal preferences come down. There. There are no doubt that that I think there's the politics and there's the man. So I look at Donald Trump two ways. Donald Trump, by and large, in terms of policy has been more of a Bush-type president than it's often made out to be. Uh, Sands the war. He is is more cautious about military action, but he still perpetrates military action when it doesn't need it. The Iran stuff, you know, dropping the mother of all bombs, constantly droning, droning more than Obama, even though we love to mock Obama. So, you know, in terms of his, his personal preferences on some things, he does sound more libertarian, right? Because at heart, he's a populist and populism has kind of taken over libertarianism in some ways. We have, we have taken over all the parties. I mean, Bernie, yeah, we've been seduced by populism a little bit. Um, Things like decreasing regulation, absolutely much better. And this is why I think Donald Trump will win. Who do people trust? Because forget all the polling you see in the major media outlets. I've seen some polling recently, uh, national polls scale. don't matter. I mean, it's yeah, this was a large scale private sample of the country and the economy two to one almost was the concern of most people. Well, who do they trust to get the economy back on track? Donald Trump or Barack Obama's guy, Joe Biden, right? They, they trust the guy who cut their taxes and the guy who got us to low unemployment and they're going to vote for Donald Trump. He's probably going to win the, and that is largely because Politically, the country still wants to be center right. They want more liberty. They want less intervention. And so on some of those points, yes, Donald Trump has not been a total failure. But there is also this part of Donald Trump where every time he he passes a tax cut, he he in in uh, he enacts more tariffs. Right. Well, that's not libertarian in any way, shape or form. The economy would be even better had he not done the tariffs. You know, his constant flirtations. So, yes, he does talk to Kim Jong-un and de-escalate that situation, but then he escalates it with China, which is a much bigger foe. Uh, Sorry, my cat is going to get in the way here. (laughs) (laughs) So go take a nap, please. So uh, every time he nominates a Neil Gorsuch, he then nominates a Brett Kavanaugh. And so he, he constantly takes one and a half step forwards and, and then one step back. So, is he better than Joe Biden on some things? Absolutely. In terms of libertarian issues as a person, he's an absolute despicable human being and his personal style of politics has broken. So if you read Mike Duncan's book, the storm before the storm about the end of the Roman Republic, he talks about the, the end of the Republic came when the Gracchi brothers ended the land deal and, broke what was called most maorium or the political norms of the Republic that had had lasted for decades, if not centuries. And what Donald Trump's personal style of politics has done has shifted every movement style of politics to the Donald Donald Trump style of politics. That is very dangerous for a free society because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we're all conspiracy, conspiracy theorists now, right? Like he has taken what, 
Well, he has taken postmodern thought and dumped gasoline on it. So now there is no truth. So how do you have an ideological standpoint like libertarian thought and then try and apply that to a, a post-truth society? That's very difficult. And so he has, I think, four more years of that will, will be very perilous. And I think he, he emboldens groups that are, are fascistic. And I think that he's not headed in a libertarian direction. He doesn't really have a plan. So that's part, part of the problem, too, is that Donald Trump really doesn't have a plan. And he just kind of flim flams everywhere. Now, what is good about Donald Trump, another point in his favor, is that he completely exposes the system for what it is. He shows you exactly what happens on a presidential campaign because the press can't stop talking about him. Every, every campaign has Russian infiltration. So did Hillary Clinton. It's just now you see it because the press is willing to report on it, right? Mm -hmm. So th there's good and bad points to Donald Trump. Like there are good and bad points to Barack Obama. Barack Obama got us out of the wars. He's set the stage for Donald Trump to really pull us out of these wars. You know, George Bush, I'm sure he did some stuff that was good. You know, so <laughs> like Something there's good and there's good in points, but is he, he the most libertarian safe. president? No. Is he libertarian according to our principled stances of Jacob Hornberger? Fuck no. And he's way less libertarian than Gary Johnson, Justin Amash, or Joe Jorgensen. But right? in our lifetime. <laughs> and I don't know how old you are, Chris, but I, I go back. I was back. alive under Reagan, and I think that... So Reagan, Clinton, Bush, Obama. I was alive under Reagan, so... I don't know. I wasn't yet. <laughs> Reagan. Reagan. That was Nate's first choice, but then he was like, he thought about it and was like, ah, the drug war. I said Reagan at first. I then, don't know, you know enough about Reagan to honestly answer that question. Clinton, you could make a you could make a really good argument for Bill Clinton being the most libertarian president because that's what I first said. You had a balanced budget by the end. You had welfare reform, which led to welfare to work. You had, uh, what did I hear about the other? Oh, the telecom law. The 96 telecom law directly allowed in, 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 uh, invention in the public space. That's why we can start a podcast without a government license because of Bill Clinton. You, you can argue that Bill Clinton was far more libertarian, far more non-interventionist than Donald Trump was uh, and is. And he... You know, he raised taxes in certain points, but he also balanced the budget and reduced the size of the deficit. But he had the three strike so, rule and, you know, some different stuff. Yeah. There's the crime bill. There's yeah. there's a lot of problems. <laughs> and that's the problem is. Right. There's never going to be a purist. I, I totally right. understand that. I, it's just. Uh, it's an interesting it's, question to pose. I never. Is. No one had ever asked me that before. And when Brian asked me. Is is he the most libertarian president of our lifetime? I had never thought about that before. So well, Brian goes in his closet and sits in his little MAGA cap and then comes out and <laughs> pretends and to be libertarian. And, you know, he's just building his email list so he can finally go after Tommy Lauren's audience. I know what he's doing. <laughs> just oh. I think I think one thing Trump is the beef. You heard it here first. I folks. think one thing Trump is amazing <laughs> at is is marketing. I think he understands yeah. He understands how to rile his base. And, and I, I think, honestly, I've said this, I think the wall is what won him the presidency because it gave people something tangible to hold on to. It's, it's very hard to convince people of ideas, which is why, back to our solutions conversation, you have to propose solutions to give something people have to have uh, based on their personality types, which we've done the study into, like, like Nate said, 97% of people are emotional about things. That's why only 3% of people are libertarians. So it's like you have to give people something tangible to hang on to. And an idea is not really enough, at least not 
not anymore, maybe back in the 1700s, the idea of liberty was the stranglehold because people have been oppressed for so long. Um, but, but now I, I honestly think like the wall is what gave Trump the win. And I think the economy coming back is going to give him the win. He, he, you know, he tweeted yesterday, uh, stock market up big Dow crosses 25,000. The transition to greatness has started ahead of schedule. Like but then who but comes then up with that kind of stuff? Yeah. A propagandist. I mean, yeah. and, I know, but it and, works. And, but, of course it does. And there's a great book, again, going back to the unmasking of the system, there's a great book called The Cult of Trump. And it was written by a former cult member who examines the the tactics that Donald Trump uses. And you could apply those to many different political parties uh, it, it, to ver a varying degree, right? So like people will say, well, the, all politicians do that. Barack Obama did that. But there is also to a degree. So Donald Trump floating the idea that if you vote by absentee ballot, it's going to be ripped off somehow. It's just not true. Like the, when Democrats and Republicans try and push the idea that there's all this voter fraud and it's all rigged, what they're really doing is breaking the most mayorium. And, and, and it's leading to a very dangerous place. So if you are a libertarian, you want stability. And this was the argument for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And it's the argument for Joe Biden, if you want to get into it, in that libertarians need stability because we need more time to explain what we believe. And what Donald Trump does is push the further the system further and further to collapse. And I firmly disagree with collapsitarians because if the system collapses tomorrow, they're sure as hell not picking us to lead things because they're not doing it right now when we're free and we're not hungry and we have a lot of money and we have savings. And so Donald Trump and, and, and frankly, Peter Schiff or uh, not Peter Schiff, Adam Schiff, and some of these other politicians that continually say that it doesn't matter who wins in in November, it was rigged. And it's the most chilling thing that Donald Trump said during the 2016 election was that he wouldn't accept the results. That whole solemn, the peaceful transition of power, that is very important. And Hillary Clinton had the she was just, oh, I'm outraged by this. How could he break that political norm of a peaceful transition? And then they spent three years undermining Donald Trump's presidency with Russiagate, which was a complete hoax. He's exactly right about that. You know, people beat Justin Amash up on buying into Russiagate. No, he was buying into the Ukraine, which actually happened. Right. Right. But like Russia undermined him as a president and undermined that election. And it made America less secure and it made Americans believe it eroded trust. And we're now in a low trust society. And what do you get in a low trust society? You get Russia, more graft, more corruption. If you want to get anything done, you have to buy people off. Everybody believes in conspiracy theories. There is no truth anymore. And you're constantly, you're more susceptible to a strong man like Putin. So when he talks about greatness is on its way, and then he starts talking about build the wall, lock her up. These are tools that somebody who has authoritarian tendencies uses to propagandize the society into believing that he has their best interest at heart because he wants power. And then he wants to hand it off to Ivanka and Donald Jr. And, and it's about building power for Donald Trump. That's not a libertarian impulse. That's not individualism. That's building a collective. So he has power. So he's not a libertarian in any way, shape or form, but people get their buttholes puckered when you mention a book like the cult of Trump, because the media is mean to him. Well, the media is kind of mean to him for a lot of good reasons. We just wish that they'd mean, be mean to Andrew Cuomo, who killed thousands of people who didn't need to die. 
Why does that guy get off scot-free? Because he's a Democrat and the mainstream press is corrupt, but it doesn't mean they're always wrong. Yeah. People I, want the and, game to be called fairly. Right. They're not yeah. seeing it. So it's a team, a, just a team an, mentality. That's an interesting point. I've always said, you know, you if you build the power structure for tyranny to reside, tyranny will reside. Right. It's played out in history so many times. I mean, Venezuela is the greatest example. I mean, you build, if you build the structure, it will come. So uh, interesting. Obamagate is a great example. We all said when Edward Snowden, this is going to be used for political purposes. Yes. And then Susan Rice, the most above the board scandal free administration, <laughs> spied on, on a, a, an opposition campaign. Yeah. Like th- they used the system that we all said was going to be used. Like, if you build the system, they will abuse it. And now the now the Republicans are running with the smoking gun of Biden unmasking Flynn. And it's, and I was like, how can you run? Yes, that's a smoking gun. But there's one pointed at you, too, with the whole Ukraine. And, you know, the, the whole thing is like, why are we giving foreign aid to begin with? Or, you well, know, and they still want to reauthorize the FISA courts. Right. I mean, and they, they still they, did it. They said they still want to do that. They haven't actually learned the lesson whatsoever, which is and that the power can't put, exist. And they still want to put Snowden in jail. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we've kept you for like an hour and a half and, and uh, I know you're probably busy. We are too. So uh, tell us about, um, you know, you told us about We Are Libertarians. I, you know, I, I see you have three shows on the feed. You got the We Are Libertarians, the Brian Nichols show and Boss Hog of Liberty. So uh, tell the folks where to go and then a little bit about your feed and, and how, all, uh, how all of it works. Yeah. So if you go to wearelibertarians.com, you can see all of our shows. We not only those, but I hosted the public affairs show. Charity and nonprofits are very important to me especially as a function of a free society, we have to take care of our own. And I host a local radio show highlighting nonprofit solutions to, uh, to problems. That's called Now Hear This. We have a new show called On the Run with Remzo Martinez and uh, Trisha Stewart host Gingerarchy. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned Boss Hogg and Brian Nichols. And uh, then there's the flagship We Are Libertarians. They all have different feeds or there's one super network feed. You can get all of it at wearelibertarians.com. Check that out. We also have a training podcast and uh, everything's at wearelibertarians.com. Feel free to follow me on any social media and also check out the Pat Down podcast. Awesome. Man, thank you so much for this time today. I got to tell think you. these this are the types of conversations that yeah, need to be had. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we don't, you know, now I just have a deep hatred for you because we disagreed on something, <laughs> but you know, that's fine. Just one more person on the list. No, no, that, I absolutely love that we can have conversations like this. This has been for sure, one of my favorite might be my favorite. It could be more. It could be better than the Brian McWilliams interview oh, for sure. No so I, I, there's no doubt. Send us that all. Would you rather go fishing in the ocean or a retention pond? That's what I'd like to say. <laughs> well, we here at Good Morning Labor, we go to Krusty Pay Lakes. Yeah, we go to them Pay Lakes <laughs> but, get them fish, man. That's a reti- that's a retention pond. What that is exactly. Yeah. All right, man. Um, <laughs> can, send us a We Are Libertarians mug, and we'll replace that Lines of Liberty one. All right. I have five face masks. I'll send you a We Are Libertarians face Thanks, mask. Man, nice. Go. I like it. I like it. All right, man. Thank you so much for your time. You have a good one. Awesome. You too. Take care.